From Washington, I'm David Schultz, and this is Talking Tax. Multinationals, big business trade groups, and a host of newspaper editorial boards typically don't weigh in on tax bills making their way through state legislatures. But they made an exception for a bill drafted by today's guest, Aisha Gomez. Gomez is a member of the Minnesota House of Representatives elected from a district in the heart of the Twin Cities area, and corporate America was not a fan of a piece of legislation she spearheaded that would have made her state the only in the country to enact something called Worldwide Combined Reporting, for all multinational corporations. Under this tax scheme, all businesses operating in the land of 10,000 lakes would have been required to report information about all of their foreign subsidiaries. Perhaps not surprisingly, business groups both in and outside of Minnesota were not enthusiastic. Ultimately, the measure pushed by Gomez, who's the chair for Chambers Tax Committee, did not end up becoming law, but Bloomberg tax correspondent Michael Bologna wanted to find out why Gomez introduced it, how it got so far, and what it was like as a state legislator to gain the national spotlight. Michael started off by asking Gomez why she thought her state needs worldwide combined reporting. There's a lot of different options, right, for the treatment of international income. And as we looked at it, we're like, look, the most consistent and specific and constitutional, we thought, um, approach is mandatory worldwide reporting. I mean, the treatment, what we ended up with was, you know, conformity, with the guilt, with the treatment of uh, global intangible low tax income or guilty, which was in the TCJA, but that's kind of a blunt instrument, and and it leaves, you know, it sort of makes assumptions based on oh, does this controlled foreign corporation have a large profit relative to the tangible property that they're reporting, and if they do, then we're going to kind of do this thing where we charge them a little extra, but it's not actually like getting your arms around what, like what the these giant multinational corporations are really doing in terms of stashing their profits in overseas tax havens. And so that's what we're really trying to get at. We believe that it's a really important equity and fairness issue. And, you know, guess what? My little Main Street businesses, they're not, they're not stashing their, their money in the Cayman Islands. Like, it's, it's big pharma. It's big tech. It's like people who have these, you know, patents and this kind of intangible property that they can they can like oh we're gifting it to our foreign subsidiary and then we're going to lease it back from them and then we get a deduction for it because it's a business expense you know it's like this whole this whole thing and and there is bipartisan agreement that this is an egregious abuse of our tax system if you talk to anybody talk to anyone about this policy they'll be like oh god Giant corporations stashing their money overseas like, no, we totally want to we want to address that. And so we thought that this was actually the best way to address it. And um, we've passed it out of our out of the house the last couple of times. But again, we were in divided government. And I think even this year it was like I passed it out of my bill and they're like, oh, the crazy lefty lady like she put it in her tax bill. But surely that's where it will begin and end. And then, you know, we'd done some work and the Senate had it in their position when they passed the tax, their tax bill. And then it was like, this is for real, you know? And so the way I think about it is like, we struck, we struck a little close to, you know, the nerve center of the whole corporate exploitation that is a fundamental feature of capitalism. And that's why I had the dubious distinction of having a negative, uh, editorial from the Wall Street Journal, uh, the Wall Street Journal editorial board. And I was like, oh, man, 
I mean, it's a badge of honor to me, of course, but it was sort of like blew everything kind of up, you know? Uh, and then the tax foundation was like, oh, well, you know, the department could never administer this. And certainly there are, you know, administrative questions to be sure, but we were ready to, we were ready to wade into it because, you know, we, we, we do believe that it's the right thing to do. It's completely legally defensible. It's been upheld twice by the Supreme Court. It's totally constitutional. So those are, those are uh, specious uh, kind of objections. But, you know, I think that, that sort of having the Tax Foundation put out this, like, this thing saying that the, our revenue estimate was flawed and the methodology was flawed and then the Wall Street Journal kind of picked up on that. It kind of blew up into, into, this, into this bigger thing. So, of course, you, you had it, it passed in the House and it passed in the Senate, and then you had to have a conference committee. So give me a lens into the sausage making there. What, what, what were the pressures that, that came to bear and uh, what it made you think about this process? Well, I mean, I, I'll say that, uh, you know, I, I, I have my analysis of it, which I think is, is not exactly the way that everybody would say it. But... Of course, the Chamber of Commerce hated it. We have a lot of Fortune 500 companies. They were not thrilled. They made phone calls, I'm sure, that I'm not privy to. Um, and the Senate withdrew their support during conference committee. You know, but, but I'll just say, like, no CEO called me and asked me to take it out. Maybe because they knew I wouldn't. But I, but I, didn't, I didn't personally receive, like, uh, pressure about it. But there were certainly big pressures that were happening that it was interesting because it was very much, like, above my head. You know, it's like... The CEO of whatever corporation is going to call little me. They're going to call the governor. They're going to call like my speaker. They're going to call the bosses. You know, I'm just a humble tax chair. So I don't know. I, I, I just tried to put forth good policy. And then, you know, the decision about the, the way that we went ultimately uh, was kind of made above my head, I would say. Or, or you know, in, in uh, my Senate counterpart was maybe compelled by the arguments around, you know, the, our state being an outlier, obviously we're one of 50 states. And so it would, it would have made us, uh, we would have treated this income differently than any other state. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I have, I have my read on it, but I'm always, we're, we're down for a righteous, uh, fight tax fight in Minnesota. So we did it. We, 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 uh, ventured and we lost, but that's okay. Well, but well, how do you feel about the trade-off with taxing guilty, which is still kind of a big deal, you know, for a state yeah. to, to do, uh, was that uh, a good trade? Do you, do you feel like you're sort of getting at the um, the problem you, you spoke about before in terms of income shifting to uh, low or no tax jurisdictions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of it's like sort of the, it's sort of similar income, right, that, that we're trying to get at. It's designed to, yeah, to address that issue that you identify. And so like, I'm I'm a realist. I live in the real world. I'm I'm a, a a dreamy idealist in some ways, but I I operate in a in an institution where like to make things happen, then you have to you have to compromise and you have to find a way forward together. And so I I'm really pleased with the you know I, like I came in to conference committee with two revenue raisers in my bill. It was this and a millionaire's tax, and I left without either of them. But I will say that. Um, the revenue raisers that we did end up with addressed the, the same issues because like I, like I have, have said about, about worldwide reporting, it's like even if it, it raised $700 million every two years, right? So not, nothing to sneeze at. But even if, if the economic impact wasn't 
wasn't that, it would still be the right thing to do because of equity and fairness in our tax code and because I believe strongly in those principles. Well, let, let, let me ask you, uh, <laughs> do, do you think that the discussion that you folks had in Minnesota this year like uh, opened a moment to have this discussion because it was pretty full-throated on, on worldwide combined reporting and income shifting. Um, and, and we see Europe moving in some of these same directions. And and you said before that I think you know, Republicans do too have their sense of indignity about this, this conduct. I mean, do you think we're on the precipice of having a more uh, complicated discussion on that in the states going forward? Yeah, I, I, I definitely hope so. I mean, you know, I, like I said, a lot of this, this, uh, the whole, I mean, the term guilty and the deemed repatriation that they did, I mean, it came out of the, out of the, out of the Trump tax bill, out of the TCJA. And so it is sort of like people of any political stripe, when you explain the situation to them are incensed by it. And, um, and I, I appreciate your point about the conversation that's happening internationally um, on this issue, because that was sort of one of the points that was like, nowhere in the world does, you know, worldwide combined reporting, like, you're not just an outlier in the country, you're an outlier in the world. Like, that was one of the things that they, you know, that was that was sort of uh, one of the attacks against this policy. And um, I am happy that we had the conversation. I'm, I think that it was like the right thing to do. I still believe it's the best policy approach to this kind of income. You know, I'm I'm hopeful that other other states are looking at it seriously. I know there are tons of uh, kind of well, maybe tons is an overstatement, but there are like academics who have really studied this, who have you know, there's there's sort of like there's there's a discourse around this, and um, you know, if we could be a little part of of elevating it to the uh, pages of the Wall Street Journal, we're more than happy to do that because you know it's the right thing, and we're here to do the right thing. Like why else would why else would we bother doing this difficult and complicated work if it wasn't just to do the right thing for the people, you know? That was Minnesota State Representative Aisha Gomez speaking with Bloomberg Taxes' Michael Bologna. And that's it for today's podcast. You can find Up to the Minute news and latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. The website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Meg Shreve is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. I felt like I was in jail every day when I was going to work. I'm like, I got to get out of here. My executive order calls on the FTC to ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. This season on Uncommon Law. We're exploring one of the most expansive Federal Trade Commission proposals in modern history, a nationwide ban on non-compete clauses. Non-compete clauses can really restrict competition. They can be coercive, they can be exploitative. We'll talk to workers who were desperate to take new jobs in their industry, only to be blocked by threat of a lawsuit. I remember getting served my cease and desist and thinking that this can't be right, this can't be fair, how can she get away with this? And we'll talk to the business owners who say they depend on these clauses to keep their companies afloat. I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules. And you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I just believe that there should be some protections for small businesses like myself that are already in a very competitive industry. Plus, does the FTC, under Chair Lena Khan, 
even have the power to pass this rule? Look, Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition. There is no limit to what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve if she can label it an unfair method of competition. Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets. Join us as we explore the far-reaching implications of this proposal and the likely court battle that could shape the future of the American workforce. That's this season on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.